I want to share with you this morning the conclusion uh, to the series. I hope that you've been blessed during uh, the series of the mission. Uh, if you have not heard uh, the various parts of it, they are available on our uh, webcast or our po- podcast, rather, uh, on our website. And uh, we just encourage you because I've been blessed uh, as we have been uh, looking at the complexity of the mission of Jesus and the greatness of that mission, um, I believe that we're blessed. Can you just put this just down a little bit more, Mark? Thank you so much. Um, God the Father sent his son on a mission, and we've been looking at his mission, the various aspects and the various uh, parts of that mission. And uh, he sent them on a rescue mission, uh, a daring if you will, rescue mission. There's a movie out in the theaters right now. It's called, um, it's called uh, Act of Valor. It's uh, real footage of a squad of Navy SEALs. Uh, and the storyline is, is true to life because they were uh, set to uh, rescue uh, a CIA agent who had been abducted or kidnapped. And uh, so it follows the, the Navy SEALs through actual footage uh, of them rescuing a CIA agent. But in the process, they took down a number of terrorist cells that were poised to harm America. And uh, from what I understand, it's a thrilling and exciting uh, film. I haven't seen anybody, anybody here. Did you see it? Wow, nobody. Wow. Maybe you'll go sometime soon and check it out. But I see the parallel between, between their act of valor and the act of valor of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent on a mission to rescue men and women from the powers of darkness. And Jesus has accomplished all the will of his heavenly Father. We looked at, just very briefly, we looked at, for this cause, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come that he might that he might rescue those who are lost, that he might seek and save those that are lost. And we said that in the humanity of Jesus, he loved the fact that God had provided for him a body, that he was not reluctant or, or he was not forced into becoming one with us or one of us. But he delighted in that fact and rejoiced in the scripture says, a body you have prepared for me. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. He is one of us. God, the God slash man, has become joined to our humanity. John, we quoted the Apostle John, who said that the Son of Man was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil, that he might decimate the powers of darkness, and that he did by the triumph over them in his cross when he spoiled principalities and powers. We said one of the other aspects of the mission of Christ was to, was to come and to reveal the Father's heart. But he did so more than, more than just giving us information. Jesus gave us impartation so that we now, by the Spirit of God's Son, cry, Abba, Father. That we can personally and intimately know God as our Daddy. We said that Jesus Christ became a curse for us so that that he might redeem us from the curse of the Lord. We say that this was the measure of his tremendous love for us, that he would literally become cursed of God and drink the cup of God's wrath, demonstrating his love. And last week, we just kind of, we talked about 
the, the incredible king of the universe, the one who made all things, has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that, that still just blows me away, that message from last week, just that he's called us to, to serve one another and that the greatest and the highest calling of God is to become the servant of the Most High God. We can't conclude a series like this without talking about the ultimate success of that mission. So I want to tell you that, that, that Jesus absolutely fulfilled completely the will of his Father. He was, and, and you, you read this so many times in the Gospels. You read how that the Father sent the Son. The, the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son. Jesus said, the words that I, I say, they're not my words. They're the words my Father has given me to say. And, and he lived in the reality of this mission that must be accomplished. And he accomplished it. And, and, and we could put up a banner here this morning that says, mission accomplished. How many of you remember a number of years ago, maybe 10, more than 10 years ago, uh, George W. Bush, our president, flew uh, onto the aircraft carrier uh, there to the banner that read, mission accomplished. When Baghdad fell, you know, there was a celebration, the military that was assembled. And, and, and yet, you know, uh, President Bush has been kind of criticized for doing that because they felt it was premature. Because the, while Baghdad itself fell that day, and remember the pictures of, of the statue coming down, you know, and, and the occupying forces taking the city. But the war raged on for the next more than 10 years. The battle raged on. So it may have been a little premature, but the declaration that Jesus made from the cross, it is finished, was operate, mission, mission accomplished, was not premature. And even though Jesus had not yet conquered death in the grave, he, there was never a doubt in his mind that he had the power to lay down his life, but he also had the power to take his life up again. And while there's a real drama that was taking place, the real possibility, what's going to happen over the next three days, and then Jesus triumphantly conquered sin, death, and the grave. How do we put that in perspective? There was a missionary couple I wanted to tell you a story about. It's absolutely true. Uh, somewhere, somewhere in South America, in jungle uh, type of area, uh, in their little modest house, a snake, maybe an anaconda, I, I'm not sure, but a snake, a huge snake larger than a man, somehow crawled through their front door and made it into their kitchen, into this simple home. Of course, it absolutely terrified them. They were frightened. They ran out of the house, and they were looking for somebody, a local who, who, who probably had knowledge of what to do in a case like this, and a machete-wielding neighbor came to the rescue, you know. Uh, he boldly enters into the house, and, and there the snake is, and he decapitates with one blow the snake. Just, just, just takes his head right off. and comes out victorious and, and uh, triumphant, and he announces to them, the snake has been decapitated, but here's, here's, okay, here's the problem. The snake doesn't know it's dead. Because of the neurology and because of the blood flow of, of a serpent like this, it's going to continue moving for the next 
several hours. In fact, it began to thrash and to frail or rail against the windows and the walls. and It didn't know it was dead. And the destruction that it was called, it was breaking up furniture and just making a mess in the house. You know, until it came to the point where it understood that it didn't have a head anymore and it was killed. That parallel is where we are today and for the last 2,000 years. Jesus has decimated the powers of darkness. He has destroyed the world of flesh and the devil in that he has overcome the world, flesh, and the devil. But we're in the period right now where there's a thrashing and there's a, a flailing that's taking place and, and there's havoc that's being made. We're waiting. See, see, the thing is that this couple had to wait and they were frustrated, but they were grateful that the snake had been dealt with and that ultimately it would end. And there is a day coming, beloved, when the havoc and the sufferings of this present age will come to an end, when all of the enemies of Jesus Christ will be completely put underneath his footstool. And we rejoice because of, of that day. I want to take you to uh, what I, I might call is a, is a, a, a to-do list of uh, some of the aspects of the mission of Christ that was prophetically spoken by uh, the prophet Daniel. In fact, Daniel records it in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, but it's the angel Gabriel who comes to Daniel after this long period of, 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 of struggle and prayer. And, and, and the, the Lord, through Daniel, says, 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 here's the message. Here's the information that you've been praying for. And he talks about the Messiah. And I have several verses, and, and it really does read as a to-do list. And, and I just want to go through just a couple of these verses with you this morning. Daniel 9.26 says this, Messiah shall be cut off. Here's the, the prophetic word concerning the Messiah. Now, that's almost, a, that's, that's almost an oxymoron, that, that w- the word Messiah and the word cut off in the same sentence. Because the idea of Messiah is one who triumphs. But he was cut off, and, and, and we don't really have to search very hard to figure out what it means to be cut off. Because that phrase appears many times in the Scriptures, that one should be cut off from the land of the living, means that Jesus experienced death. But notice what it says, but not for himself. Jesus tasted death for every one of us, but not for himself. It was for us so that through the power of his life, he could overcome the power of death. The expression is so clear that, and yet there's, there's volumes that could be spoken about what it meant for Jesus to be cut off, to experience death for us as us. Then in verse 24, Daniel says this, and not to get too deeply into the the timing of this, but it says 70 weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city. 70 weeks was 70 weeks of years. And it it was actually Daniel's way of actually giving the prophetic date on which the Messiah would appear. 490 years. There were weeks of years that he's talking about. And I don't want to get into too much detail about that, but I want to say this. It says to make an end of sins to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. I mean, right there, we ought to have a a rejoicing party. That Jesus Christ, his name Jesus means he shall save his people from their sins. 
And that this is what Jesus Christ has come to do, to make an end. Here is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And we are so grateful that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has, he has separated them, never to be remembered anymore, to make reconciliation for iniquity. We know that God was in Christ, the Bible says, reconciling the world unto himself, reconciling men unto God through the cross. And then it says this, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's the gift of righteousness which, which God imparts to those that believe. For righteousness does not come by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. And we who receive the merits and the, and the achievements of the Lord Jesus Christ are clothed with this glorious garment called righteousness. You remember the robe that the, that the prodigal was, was draped with by his father. He said, get the best robe and, and put that robe on my son. That is what God has done for us. He has clothed us with that coat of many colors as in Joseph's case, it's the robe of righteousness. To seal up the vision and the prophecy, which means simply to accomplish all the prophetic words concerning his first coming. And Jesus did that and he declared it is finished. And you know, one of the powerful things that from the cross, one of the sayings that Jesus said was he remembered, the Bible says, the scripture says, I thirst. And so Jesus, to fulfill the scripture, Matthew says, that all might be fulfilled, which was written in the prophets. So Jesus didn't come to destroy the Lord and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And that last phrase is in the to-do list is to anoint the most holy place. The most holy place was the holy of holies. But Jesus never walked into the temple. He was not permitted to walk into the temple. And he did not go into the holy of holies made with human hands. But he did go into the holy of holies in what was the true holy of holies. Into heaven itself for us with his sacrifice of himself. And there he presented himself unto God for us. And the evidence, the, the, the reason why we know that mission was accomplished, that it was a success, was because of two factors. Number one, the resurrection. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. He did something that no other human being has ever been able to do, and that is to come back from the dead, never to die again. He lives now by the power of an endless life, an indestructible life. A new kind of life has been, has, been, has been developed through the resurrection of his glorified body. And we're going to have glorified bodies like that. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. You know, when you get to a certain age, you know, you start feeling a new pain, a new, you know, inability to do this, a crick here, you know, you know a little pain there. And all that's going to come to pass. All of that is going to be ended when we receive new bodies just like his glorified body and when we are clothed with our immortality because of Jesus Christ. But there's one other thing, and it's, and it's sadly uh, neglected, I believe. You know, if you go into a Christian bookstore, you'll not find a lot of books written about the ascension. And I want to talk to you about the, the proof that Jesus accomplished all that God purposed him to do 
because of his ascension, because he has ascended on high and entered into heaven for us with the holding the title deed of heaven itself on behalf of his church, his bride. The ascension is something powerfully revealed. There are many, many scriptures that talk about it, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're just going to look at a few of them this morning so that, that we can get a handle on what it means for Jesus to have ascended to the right hand of power on high. Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John gives us a glimpse of, of the vision as the veil was drawn back and he sees, he, he not only sees the majestic, glorious Jesus and, and the description of Jesus is, is found there, but, but, but there's so much more to that in Revelation. I, I love to read the book of Revelation for that purpose. It helps me in my meditation as I pray. I'm not praying to the Jesus who was a babe in Bethlehem. I'm not praying to the Jesus who was crucified on the cross. I am praying to the one who has ascended on high and has been seated at the right hand of majesty, who has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And it's so important for us to remember that. You know, is, is to not, see, the ministry of Jesus did not end in 33 AD, but it continues even now to this moment for he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he said to John, I am he that was dead, but I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. That's important for you to know, that death has no power over you if you're a believer in Christ, that you have already, because of being in Christ, passed from death unto life. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage you to open up your heart to this message, to open up your heart to the Savior who alone can save you unto the uttermost. And if you will call upon his name this morning, if you will just receive Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, as Doug said before this morning, we have no confidence in ourselves, no confidence in the flesh, but our confidence is in the man Christ Jesus. Put your trust in him and you will not be ashamed or disappointed. Jesus said, I am he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore. But he's not the only witness. There are other witnesses and, and, and we have even a more sure word of witness even than eyewitnesses. We have the testimony of God's very own word, both prophetically in the old and also in the, in the apostles who, who declared and who said, like the apostle Paul, who, who was a witness to the resurrection and the ascended Christ. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And you remember that in Acts chapter 7, when it says that they could not resist the words of, St of Stephen and they they stopped their ears and they ran upon him and they began to stone Stephen. In that moment, not just for his sake, but for our sake, the veil was drawn back. The portal, if you will, into heaven itself was open. And he says, I see heaven open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They couldn't stand to hear that. But that was not just for Stephen being welcomed into heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's for our understanding so that we would know and that we would, that we would live with the conscious awareness that Jesus has ascended to the throne of majesty on high. I'm going to tell you what that means. In Acts chapter 1, 
the Bible says that when Jesus ascended, they were watching him as he, he disappeared into the clouds. But it wasn't into the weather clouds that Jesus disappeared into. It's that same cloud that, that spoke on the Mount of Transfiguration from the cloud. The glory of God spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what we see is that the disciples who witnessed not the ascent of Jesus going nearly upward, because heaven isn't up. It's not like it's beyond the, the further star or galaxy. That's not where heaven is. Heaven, heaven is a dimension of the government of God. Heaven is the house of God. And the window was open in that brief moment, and they can witness and bear testimony that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But we also have the testimony of of Scripture, of of Hebrews chapter 1, that my Lord said unto my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. Jesus ascended to the right hand of majesty, having purged of our sins and has sat down as a great high priest, not of Levi, but of the order of what's called Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul wants us as believers and prayed for them and us as well, that all of us would come to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power that is at work in us now. And he he likens it to the same mighty power that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and dominions and might and has given him the name that's above every other name so that he might fill all in all the body of Christ. See, God wants us to know, and he wants us to live in the awareness that the Jesus whom we have to deal with, the Jesus who who dwells in our hearts through faith, has all power and all authority. And I'm going to get to the practicality of that in a few minutes. But listen to this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It says, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered into heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. What was on earth was just a copy, and Moses was told, Make sure that you make it according to the pattern. And that pattern of the Holy of Holies where there was the the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and where blood was sprinkled, that was just a, 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 a phototype or prototype, if you will, of that which is the true in heaven. Where Jesus entered into heaven itself at his ascension. And I want you to think of his ascension as more than a going up as much as it is the coronation of the King of Kings and the, Lord's, and the Lord of Lords that Jesus is crowned the king because of his mighty valor. Because in that act of valor, men, you know, demonstrated their courage. and their. But there is no greater act of valor than Jesus who single-handedly went to the cross, drank the cup of God's wrath, and in the process, defeated the powers of darkness. Through death, he, he, he gave a death blow to death itself, and conquered the grave. This ought to excite us. This ought to, you know, more than give us goosebumps and more than give us a thrill, this ought to empower us and enable us to live a life before God with confidence and with assurance 
and boldness. I heard that word several times this morning, both confidence and boldness. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, because this is the practicality of believing in the ascension of the Lord Jesus, that he was coronated as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, it says at the end of the Gospel of Luke, when they were watching Jesus as as he disappeared out of their sight, because they saw into heaven itself in his ascension, and they understood that, the Bible says that they had great joy and they were praising God continually. The source of our great joy is to know that not only has Jesus triumphed over death by his resurrection, but that he has ascended and has taken the seat before God for us in the name of his people. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sure you're familiar with some of this, but listen to what he says, verse 8. He says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts unto men. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts unto men. And what Paul is alluding to here, what he's trying to give us a picture of, which the first century people would have understood maybe even more than us, is a picture of what would happen in the triumph. If you saw the movie, The Gladiator, you may remember the scenes in the streets of, <clears throat> of, uh, of uh, 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 the city of Rome and, 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 the, and the, the, the festivity that was taking place, the... the uh, uh, ticket tape parade, if you will, that was taking place. The, the, the heroes were being honored. When a general came back from a victorious battle, there was a celebration. All the streets were lined with all the people and they were celebrating. And, and, and the general would usually come back having, having some of maybe the king, maybe the prince, having chained to his chariot. And, 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 and Jesus, the Bible tells us, having destroyed principalities and powers, made a public display of them openly by the triumph of his cross. This is what was taking place. Paul is saying this, that when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts unto men. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens. Higher than the heavens, Paul wants us to know. In order that he might fill the whole universe, it was he who gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. He turns this to the body of Christ that we're to be prepared for works of service so that all of us may come to the day in which we, there is a maturity and there's a unity until we all come into the stature of the fullness of the man Christ Jesus. And this excites us. This, this, this does thrill, thrill us, but it also empowers us to live a life of victory before the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to accept defeat, not in any area of our life. He's made it possible for us to be more than conquerors through the one who loves us so that nothing will be able to separate us from his love, neither life nor death nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor principalities. Nothing will be able to defeat us that we can be just as invincible as those Navy SEALs by trusting in Jesus Christ. 
So the question this morning I want to ask is simple. Why is this so important? Pastor, why are you so excited about the ascension of Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you why. Because God, the Father, wants us to live in the reality of the way that things really are. Because right now, we're still living in that waiting period where there's a thrashing that's taking place and a flailing that's going on and there, and there is havoc that's being made in this world. But I want you to know that Jesus has all power and authority, that he is the sovereign Lord who from the government of God is ruling and reigning, reigning and guiding and leading his church. We're in the waiting period right now. And it may be frustrating for us to like that missionary couple to wait until the, the, until the snake gets the message that he's been defeated, until Jesus bruises Satan underneath our feet. But right now, God wants us to develop something, a conscious awareness that when we pray that we have confidence with God, that this confidence is not in ourselves, but this confidence comes from being in a relationship of love with Jesus Christ. We are to celebrate. Think about it. We celebrate the, the incarnation. We celebrate the birth of Jesus once a year. We celebrate the resurrection, right, on, on Easter. How come we don't celebrate the ascension? I believe it's because we're to live in the power of the ascension. We're to live with the awareness that Jesus is Lord of the universe, and that he is king of kings. And so, and so the Holy Spirit has given us these little glimpses, these little verses here and there, both in the Old and in the New Testament, that would get us excited about what's taking place. And I, wanna, I want us to look at a, at a prophetic portion of Scripture this morning that always stirs my heart when I think about it. It's Psalm 24. And it's a psalm written of, by David. And, and it's believed that David wrote this psalm when he brought the ark of God up into the city of David. You remember some of the story about that? David did it with dancing. David did it unashamedly, you know, uh, before, before all the people. He danced with all of his might. And it was a celebration that day. And it was a, it was a great day for bringing up the presence of God. And, and this is believed to be the psalm that David wrote as a result of that revelation. But, but David's speaking beyond himself. David is speaking prophetically by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he's giving us a glimpse into, into what took place on that day when Jesus ascended into the very heaven itself for us to appear before God for us. He asks this question in, in verse 3. He says, Who may ascend? Who may ascend? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? The holy place, the holy of holies, the very presence of God. Who may stand in God's holy presence? The answer comes back in verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol or sworn by what is false. There's only one person in the universe who's qualified to stand before the presence of God, and that is Jesus Christ, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. So this sets the, this sets the tone 
for the rest of the of the song that is to be sung. And 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 while it's a little cryptic, and and and, and I can't tell you with absolute certainty. Who are they who are speaking here? Is it the angels who accompanied Jesus? My, my guess is that it was both the angels that were accompanying Jesus. But you, you might, re, might know this, that paradise, in which is described as being in Abraham's bosom, and, and those that died in faith with the promissory note that the Redeemer was to come. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah and they were speaking about his deceased or his death, which was to be accomplished soon in Jerusalem. And you know, I could just imagine that conversation. They were getting excited. You know, there was a stirring in paradise. They, 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 there was an excitement that the day was coming when paradise would be, would be removed from its present state into heaven itself. And on the day of the resurrection, listen, on the day of the resurrection, the Bible says that Jesus was not the only one who was resurrected, but that many of the graves of the saints of those who slept were open and they were seen in the streets of Jerusalem. There was, there was an ascension. Remember when Jesus said to Mary, he said, don't touch me yet because I've not yet ascended to my father and to, and to my God. But go tell my brethren, go tell my brothers the ascension that was going on. Listen to the drama that's behind this in verse seven. Who is it that's speaking? I can't say for certain. Was it the redeemed that were with Jesus? Was was it the angels? I I believe it was both. And, and, And this is the cry. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The ancient gates is the gates of heaven, the abode of God, as they're a passing into the very presence of God. But the question is asked, who is the king of glory? And, and, and that is a style that is often done in scripture, is to ask a question that they really know the answer to. And the answer is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, Jesus coming back from the battle of the victory there at the cross and having triumphed over death in the grave itself. And again, they ask the question, lift up your heads, O ye gates, or, or, or the statement, Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. But again, the question is, who is the king of glory? And the answer is, he's the Lord Almighty. He's the king of glory, mighty in battle. As the gates of God are open before Jesus, he comes and he presents in the very holy of holies there for us the token of his sacrifice so that our sins and our iniquities are remembered no more. He fulfills the to-do list as Daniel had prophesied. He made an end of sins and he anointed the holy place. Imagine that in heaven itself, there is a man seated at the right hand of majesty, the man Christ Jesus, the one in whom we glory in, the one in whom we're related to, represents us as the head of a new species of men and women who've been born of the Spirit of God. Isaiah 63, one says, Who is this coming from Edom and from Basra with garments stained in red crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength? Same, same, same idea, same questions that are being asked, and the response is, It is I, 
speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Jesus is mighty to save this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that assurance in your heart, you're just not sure, if I were to die today, am I going to be with Christ? Am I going to be in heaven? I want you to know you can have the assurance today. He said, if anyone will come into me, I will no wise cast them out. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And here is one of the reasons why this a message like this, and I'm just so glad to sum up this series because we've talked about the greatness of his mission. We've talked about the complexity of his mission, but we can't stop until we talk about the accomplishment and, and mission accomplished, that it produces in us an attitude, and that attitude is, is listen, it's confidence, boldness before God. The Bible says that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion, when we realize, when we come to believe that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, there's a boldness that can come over us that can affect our prayer life. You see, it's, it's, it's a humble, it's a, it's a low position that we take, but we also take that with great confidence and boldness before God. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, since... We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's his ascension. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one in Christ who has omnipotent, listen, he has omnipotent compassion. He sympathizes with us in our trials and our afflictions. And when we're going through difficulty and when we're we're going through storms and trials, he is able to sympathize with omnipotent compassion for us. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Several weeks ago, I I spent like nine days in the hospital. I, I, I saw some things that, that I couldn't even, you know, I can't shake out of my mind. I, I, I was in a room with a man who died. Uh, I, was in, I was in a room with a young man who was 21 years old, who was sick for three weeks. Uh, I saw some things that my heart was moved with compassion. I prayed for that young man. Um, the, the, the man who died that was in my room was in a coma. But I did pray for him as well. And, and, and being moved with compassion, you know, is one thing. But having the omnipotent power to be able to affect that compassion is something that Jesus Christ and him alone possesses. And he is sympathetic. If you're here this morning and you're going through a trial right now, you're going through a storm right now in difficulty, I want you to know that he, he, he loves to rescue his children. And he is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted that which you are able to bear, but with every temptation will also provide a means by which you must escape. Listen, listen to verse 16. It says this, Let it, therefore, because of Jesus ascending into the presence of God, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. One translation says with boldness. It's the same thing. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the truth of the matter is is that God wants you to have 
confidence in your prayer life. He wants you to have confidence that, that, that you might know, that you might know that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think according to the power that's at work in us. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us and we have those things that we desire because he's gracious and he's merciful. Confidence. How important is confidence? I mean, think about it. If you had this kind of confidence in God, trusting in him, could that not make a difference, an impact upon your life and upon the people that you serve and know and minister to? And I say the answer is yes. It is priceless. And God wants you to walk in the reality of his ascended son who has all power and authority. Confidence to live before God. Confidence to have a prayer life that you know that you're highly favored in the beloved, that you know that you've been accepted, that you've been clothed with the righteousness of, of Christ. Confidence. Humble, Christ-centered confidence. God wants to impart that to you today by a revelation that you have been seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's the privilege. The Bible says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. What... That's my position before God that I too now share as a partaker of his divine nature. I share too as a, par a partner, as an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. See, the ministry of Jesus didn't end in 33 AD, but the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. That there are times when we don't know how to pray as we should, but the spirit of Christ in us, prays according to the will of God and intercedes for us. He's not left us as orphans, but he's sent to us another comforter, another advocate just as himself. The Spirit of God dwells in you as a believer so that you might now become mighty and strong in God. The ascension, let's just sum it up, all right? The Lord now appears in the presence of God for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He intercedes and from the throne, he bestows the Holy Spirit. And if you, if you want to be spirit-filled this morning, know that you're being spirit-filled by the ascended, all-powerful Jesus Christ who's at the right hand of God. He governs now heaven and earth from his throne from the government of God. He is guiding his church. He is ruling in his church over all principalities, powers, and dominions. He is sympathetic toward us this morning in compassion, omnipotent, omnipotent compassion for you and I to be his children, to be walking before him victoriously, walking by faith and not by sight. He occupies that place of the advocate for us, so that if anyone, as Doug said earlier today, if any one of us does mess up, if any one of us does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means that the power of indwelling sin has been broken in the life of a believer so that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now voluntary slaves to Jesus Christ, to righteousness. Here's the greatest act of, 
of valor this world has ever, has ever, will ever know. It's in Jesus giving himself completely and fully to us and for us. The ascension. I hope, I hope when you think of the ascension, you'll never be the same again. That God the Holy Spirit will begin to stir in your hearts this morning. A consciousness. Read Revelation 4 and 5. Meditate in that. You know, use it as a, as a help to, 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 to when you begin to pray. Is that you, you're not speaking into the air, but you're speaking into the throne of God where we have confidence and boldness to find grace and help in the time of need. This is the reason, beloved, the, the disciples of Jesus, not just because they believed in the resurrection, but because they saw into heaven itself and they saw Jesus ascending to the right hand of majesty, that they had such boldness and confidence. When they were examined by the, by the, by the, by the, uh, by the high priest and they were perceived to be uneducated and unlearned men, yet the Bible says when they saw their boldness or their confidence, they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had not just been with the Jesus of three years of ministry, but they had a revelation of the ascended Jesus. Let that impact your life right now as I pray for you. So, Father, I pray this morning in the precious name of Jesus that indeed, Lord Jesus, that we would be given an open vision this morning of heaven itself and you dressed in your priestly robes, interceding on our behalf, ever living to make intercession for us, that, that you don't simply save us and then relinquish responsibility and then it's somehow up to us to somehow keep ourselves safe, that you are able to present us faultless before your presence with exceeding joy that it's you who keep us from falling. It's you who preserve us. And, and having this confidence that he that has begun a good work in us will bring that work to completion. So Father, I thank you this morning that you have something really intended in this series that we would not only see the complexity and the greatness of the mission that Jesus accomplished and the banner flying over us is that that mission has been absolutely successful, is that it has an impact and profound effect upon each one of us. I pray, Lord God, for passion this morning to infuse the hearts of God's people. I pray for the zeal of the Lord of hosts to make us all that you purpose to be because your desire is for a victorious church to walk in humility before God, but to walk in victory so that we can say like the Apostle Paul, now thanks be unto God who always enables us to walk in his triumph. We walk in that procession. You lifted us up and you raised us up together with you when you ascended on high and you seated us in the heavenlies positionally with Christ. And this is marvelous, Lord God, in our sight. I pray, Father, that this message will not be forgotten, that it will impact us where the rubber meets the road on a daily basis, 
But the next time we bow the knee to pray, that there is a, a welling up of confidence that comes into our heart because the one with whom we have to do loved us so much that he gave himself for us. And we all sit together, amen, amen.